Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneur Center in Tempe, Arizona, where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. I'm very excited to have a fellow author on with us today. We have the author of OK Little Bird, Dina Goldstein, and I believe you're uh, chiming in with us from your home in Scottsdale. Is that correct? I am. I am. Thank you for having me. Well, we are thrilled. And I know Daryl reviewed before we went on live, our producer, just to kind of connect the dots. I think that you and I connected on LinkedIn. And then we've also connected with your brother. And both of you were saying, we, you have a story to share. Please, can we share the story? Is that correct? True, true, true. Yep. They wanted us to chat. And here we are. I'm so glad. And a shout out to your brother. I'm forgetting his name and what he does for a living, but let's, let's do the proper accolade. Thank you, Lee. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So tell us about OK Little Bird, uh, just a, a brief summary. And then we've got a whole, you know, up to an hour conversation to just get to know you better and really to encourage people to purchase the book, read it and share it. So what's the brief summary that we would, we would be uh, interested in hearing? Well, basically, so it's a memoir and it's about my relationship with my father. So people say, well, you know, why do I want to pick that up? Well, it's really interesting. He was a quirky, bigger than life guy, super funny, snappy dresser. He's kind of stern. He was a cowboy. And we had a crazy fun relationship. I mean, sitting at the dinner table with us was like listening to banter like uh, Abbott and Costello. And we just had this wonderful relationship. And then as he got older and we moved closer, he went through some health issues. I don't want to give a lot of spoiler alerts, even though I probably will end up giving some. And basically it's a bouncy, the reader takes a bouncy ride from laughter to tears. You won't need a Xanax, but I'm told you go up and down. And basically you go through this relationship of unconditional love. And then what happens when Little Bird is faced with, her father's critical health issues and how how we navigate situations that seem like they're not going to be okay. And then by the way, everything happened amidst the COVID-19 backdrop. Oh wow. Yeah. And this you just published this book then, right? Within the last year? Yeah, actually it's only been out about 10 weeks. Yeah, it just hit. Yay, I'm so yeah. glad. I'm so glad we have you on when we do then. Okay, this is fantastic. So your father made his transition already. He did, he did. And so so basically what happened is, so I started writing the book from his group home, found out that he had about a day or so left. And I was sitting there by myself and like everybody else on the planet, I had my phone and you're being quiet and respectful and I had some thoughts. And I started writing them down on the phone. I didn't want to forget them. And a year and a half later, I lifted my head up and I was like, oh my gosh, I think there's something here. And it's been about seven, eight months. I've been you know, in the process of putting everything together and just wanted to tell the story. It was an unforgettable bond with a bigger than life guy and kind of a universal thing. You know, what we do in situations that we think are completely unbearable when you have no choice yeah. but to deal with it. But to show up, yeah, and show up hopefully with dignity and love and respect and, and hope. 
you're, so this, obviously this is about your relationship with your father. Do you have a solid relationship or did you have a solid relationship with your mom as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're very close. And my brother and sister, I have an older brother and sister. They're, they were close with my dad as well. They're just, it's just my story. We just, I was the baby of the family. And so I'm sure everybody knows, okay, baby, the family got away with everything close. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, I mean, it was just this unusual funny, quirky bond we had. I mean, we were playful, we bantered. And then later on, I would go to appointments with him and we would chat. I'd call him, hey, dad, how you doing? Fine, Dina. Hey, how's it going? I'm watching a movie. Why are you calling <laughs> to hear you breathe? Well, you did that yesterday. All right, then, bye. I mean, it was just like anybody else would have been offended. But for me, it was kind of fun. And I just was able to get under his skin in a way that nobody else was because he had kind of a tough exterior. So horses got along with them great, but you know, so. Yeah, I can relate. I'm a a number two of four kids. We're all about four years apart, two older girls and then two younger boys. And I'm, I'm kind of the black sheep of the family. I'm the one who does everything slightly different, maybe a little bit more flair and creativity. My dad, very analytical, very serious, and I could always make him laugh and uh, just have a, have had a different relationship. We all have a great relationship with him, but uh, but certainly unique and very special. He's in Tempe, not too far from here oh, where we grew up. And that's and I, so I, nice. I, and he's getting up in there in years, right? So fortunate that his health is still good. And at the same time, I'm not prepared. Now, unlike you, I did not have a great, great relationship with my mom. My dad is the one who raised us. So yes, as I became a mom myself, I, you know, was kind of trying to figure out what does that look like for me? What parts of both of them do I want to take uh, into my relationship with kids and which parts would I rather just hang up and and not carry that as a legacy, right? Well, it's interesting because Uh, usually somebody like you have this relationship with your mother that's quite different from your father. Like you were able to make him laugh and there's something to that. There's a trust there. They let you in. You know what you can get away with pushing the envelope. And I definitely did the same thing. And so what's interesting, you may find that as you, as your father gets older and everything, it might change the dynamic with you and your mother. It may, it may not. I don't know. I mean, because when circumstances begin to change, so do relationships sometimes. Um, You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's been gone for 12 years. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, when there's, when life serves you up, you know, things that you don't think you can bear or you can handle and you find ways to do it. I've recently gone through that with um, my ex-husband and my dad was there through it all. And it's really had me look at relationships. Which ones do I want to nurture and hang on to? Which ones do I need to step away from? Uh, and which ones do I are worth making amends and, and cleaning up? So uh, I, I look forward to reading Okay Little Bird because I have no doubt that there's a lot of snippets and wisdom in there. Have you always had the desire to write a book or was this literally as you described it, you're sitting there, you had some time on your hands, you had a lot of thoughts and reflections about your dad and you just started writing, but did you always know there was, was there a nagging interest to have a book one day? Well, you know, it's funny that you asked me that because since I'm a little kid, I've always wanted to, to write. I've always been writing. I've wrote prose and children's books and I've been a multimedia artist for years. I've exhibited my work in the Valley and So I've always done writing and illustration. And yes, at some point, I guess at some level, apparently a very obvious level now, I wanted to write a book, but it was never been my intention for years. I've been, I have a full-time job. I work and I, and I paint. It never occurred to me, but 
sometimes when you have something happen to you that's so profound, and, and I'll tell you what was the impetus, when my father had to go to the group home because he required the kind of care that my mother was no longer able to provide, it was medical, COVID hit. So I was able to see him for like three weeks and then you know what it was like, everything got shut down. So I'm one of a million stories where somebody can't get to their loved one. You know, what do you do? I mean, so we're calling, you have a nurse hold up a cell phone because even on a good day, it's hard to FaceTime somebody, right? With the technology. So I couldn't go there for a really long time. And about six weeks before he passed away, I got a phone call. Hey, Dina, you want to come down? I was thought, oh my God, I I thought I was going to explode. So of course, the first thing I did was, you know, start putting together food because you don't go to somebody without food. So um, even though I knew he probably wasn't going to eat it, it was okay. So I made him a sandwich, whatever. And I go and he happened to have a patio off of his room. So the nurse said, drop it off at the front and walk around. And he has a screen door and we'll talk like that. I'm like, okay, we're talking back masks, the whole, when it was, things were really, really bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I follow her directive. I come around and I hear all this rustling and the doors open and I hear Mark, your daughter's here. Do you want to see your daughter? And he knew I was coming. She says, one minute, Dina, he wants to get up to come see you. My father had not gotten out of bed. I mean, he was so weak. He, his muscles were not, I mean, so he asked to be put in the transport chair to come over to the window. I was overjoyed and wanted to die inside at the same moment because that he would go through that kind of exertion to come see me. I just, so I knew time was of the essence. They wheel him to the door. I can see I've got minutes because he used every ounce of strength. Yeah. And he asks a few questions. I know I can't ask him how he's doing because it's obvious, right? So these are moments that you have where you just say, I love you. I am so glad to see you. I missed you so much. I, I just, I just wanted to lay eyes on you, dad. And he just kind of nodded and everything. And then, I mean, that, that was kind of it. I could see him fading and he said, okay, little bird. And that was it for me. Every time I tell that story, the hair goes up because at that moment he said so much and so little, I've had a million nicknames, monkey, some of them <laughs> better than others, but not this. He had never called me this in his life. I, I was just going to ask. I assumed, of course, with the title, I, I was anxious to yes. hear about, but this was the one time. One and only time. And it was so profound. I knew at that moment something had changed and I, it stayed with me. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but, but it stayed with me. And I, when I started writing that first day, I realized there was so much to tell not just about a connection that we have. You have a, an amazing connection with your father. You can make him laugh. That's a connection. People have important connections with different people in their life. It may not be their father. What yeah. do you do with that connection when it changes for them? Suddenly not the same person they used to be. They can't necessarily give back to you or be as affectionate or you know, go out with you for a milkshake. Suddenly yeah. tables are turned. Maybe you're a little bit more of a caregiver and you're then providing that support. So as I navigated these waters, everything changed. And I just, that's how the book was born. Incredible. And I, so you met him out on his patio while he was inside screen door and masks between you, but you were outside in nature. Yes. Yeah. Which I, I, I love, I just, uh, clearly I wasn't there, but I'm picturing your dad with all the effort and energy it took to actually greet you and see you. You acknowledge that, gave him space to just, hey, we won't be long. 
but because you were outside for him to say okay little bird just uh, it, well, I can imagine. I, I don't even know either of you, and I am deeply, deeply touched with it was, your new Thank you. It was, it was chilling. I mean, I just, yeah. I mean, the fact that I was sitting on this patio was beautiful. You could see mountains and, you know, it's the Sonoran Desert, that kind of a look. And that's the first time I'm sure he was looking out his window and I don't know how long. And yeah, it was just this weird, like, thing that happened. And I, yeah, so it's, it's just been a powerful thing for me. And, and can I ask what day or when he passed? How long has it been then? Yeah, so it's almost, it's a little more than a year and a half. He passed June 22nd, 2020. He, uh, Father's Day was the 21st. And I knew my dad didn't want to ruin Father's Day because he had a sense of humor. And so he was probably worried we were going to give him another Henley type shirt because he hated Henleys. And we, for some reason, <laughs> always gave him Henleys. So he waited till the 22nd, which was really nice. And so, yeah, that's when he passed. That's when he passed. Oh my gosh. And I will tell you, you made a comment before, you know, your father's getting up in years and things like that. And you might know something's coming. You might prepare for something's coming. But when you're in the thick of it, it does not matter. You, it yeah. just, it's like somebody poured ice water in your veins. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, startling. Tell us about your father early years. So you mentioned that he was, you think he's a cowboy? Yes, cowboy through and through. And if you look at the cover, you'll see a guy walking off to the side. That's actually him with his cowboy hat. He had the belt, the hat, the whole nine yards. Uh, we used to go out riding with him when we were little. And he just really connected with horses. And, you know, up until his 70s, he was hoisting a 50 pound saddle on a horse. I mean, he, and, and I'll tell you a funny story. And this kind of gives you provenance to his personality. He, he had like 80 pair of boots in his closet. I mean, I thought I had a lot of shoes, but I mean, he had them lined up and there's actually a picture of it because one day I went in the closet. I'm like, I got to take a picture of this. Um, Yeah. But he, so one day he's at the stable and he, this horse whisperer lady comes out. So I told you my dad could sometimes be kind of gruff. You know, he was just a, that's just who he was. So she's watching him with his horse and she sits down, she turns him, she sits so, so Mark how is your relationship with Duke? My dad's like, fine. Well, do you ever have a problem with him? Uh, no. And he's looking at her like, woo. So they <laughs> proceeded this conversation. I don't want to give it all away because it's in the book, but she proceeds to tell him that the way that he's communicating with the horse is problematic. You're swearing at your horse. The horse doesn't appreciate it. And you need to know. I mean, and so when he relayed this story to us and he's like, really, I'm swearing at the horse. That's nice. So, okay. The horse lady's telling on me now. This is, yeah, I believe this. I mean, it was just like these crazy antics. He was just always joking with people. People in Starbucks knew him. He'd sit down, they'd have his little like, you know, pastry or whatever in his coffee. And he was a snappy dresser and he was funny. If you got him in front of a microphone, he just was always making people laugh. And, um, if you could get past his unfiltered, sometimes grumbly exterior, there was just, just like this, just the softest, sweetest guy. And just, you know, just a wonderful, wonderful guy. Did he, was he able to, I mean, how long into his life was he able to ride horses? Was there a point in time where you mentioned him throwing the saddles up to quite late, but yeah. 
I'd imagine before having to go into the home, right, that he stopped writing? Actually, great question. A little bit before, he actually had a quintuple, I think it was a quintuple bypass. It might have been, oh, wow. I don't know. Yeah, it was a quintuple. I mean, it was like an emergency thing. And after that, they said, sorry, no more horses. Well, for him, that was like removing a limb. He and was beside himself. Before, he could no longer long ride horses. That, but how long ago was that surgery? Uh, oh God, uh, probably 20 years. I mean, it's been years. Oh, 18 oh, years wow. maybe. That, so did you notice a shift? What, how did he cope with that? Oh, he was not happy. They got a dog, which became a companion, but he was going out every morning, even when he began to be a less frail, less balanced, he would go out and brush his horse and sit and kind of kibitz with the people at the barn it was a place where he would go they you know he just loved being if there was dirt and snorts and whinnies he was the happiest guy that's why I made sure to snort at the dinner table but it never worked but anyway yeah he just he loved that and he stopped swearing he stopped swearing at Duke did he ever stop swearing at Duke you know (laughs) we will never know the answer to that Karen but I'm pretty sure maybe not Maybe not, Yeah. but, but he, yeah. So it was like, he lost a piece of himself. I was so saddened by that, that I had an opportunity later on uh, one of my art clients, I did a a custom piece for them and I had to drop it off and they let me take him to go see the horse that was on their property. And it was like watching the most magical moment. It was like watching him return to his old self. Um, And there were a few other, there's another instance, which I talk about in the book, but I just wanted to do part of our relationship was wherever there was a void or an empty space. I just wanted to fill it. If he was left with some pain, I wanted to replenish it. I just never wanted him to have a moment of feeling anything other than joy. And so I tried to fill him up with, you know, I bought him books on reading about horses. You know, do you want to go visit horses? No. I mean, he just, eventually I was able to to engage him that way, but yeah, so he stopped probably about, 10, 12 years before he actually passed away. And by the way, I should have got him a superhero cake because he had uh, several cancer diagnoses, you know, sailed through those. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Wow. Miraculous. (laughs) And how many siblings, how many of of you are there? I have an older sister and an older brother. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You said you're the baby. That's right. And you, and you grew up here in Arizona? No, we, we actually grew up in Ohio. Oh. And um, I always make a joke. Have you ever heard of Dayton, Ohio? Sure. I used to say I wasn't Dayton and Dayton, so I left. But that's not important. Um, <laughs> that's my cheesy one-liner. But no, we grew up in Dayton, Ohio. And then we grew up in Miami, Florida. And then I lived in Chicago and um, Columbus oh, okay. and Cleveland. And uh, we landed here. We actually moved here because we wanted to be close to my parents. I wanted my daughter to be raised with her grandparents. Yeah. Yeah, and your your parents were here, were were here for how long? Oh, long time. I think they like they had already been here probably fifteen years before. Actually, my sister moved. We we basically, you know, I always joke around. People always talk about cutting the cord. I'm like, I'm not cutting any cord. I have an extension cord. Thank you very much. So, <laughs> right. You remember the old oh. phones in the kitchen in the '80s where you could walk yeah. like, around oh, the yeah. house? Yeah, that's my extension yeah. cord. So. Long enough to go into all three bedrooms. Yes. But not, yeah, but not quite enough privacy. No, no. And it had to be avocado green, by the way. Yeah. Ours was yellow. Ours was like that dingy, weird yellow. 
you know, 70s. I know exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Now, as a parent of a 14-year-old, I have two in their 20s, but they live in the area. They're on their own. My 14-year-old, boy, do I wish that I had that phone because he's got this thing attached to him all the time. And I have no idea who's on the other end, you know. I mean, I, I do a pretty good job keeping tabs on him. It but, is, it's crazy. Uh, I, I mean, when my daughter, when we first gave her her phone, it was all you could do was text and it was for emergencies if we were running late at school. Yeah. But at dinner time, I'm like, your phone is going to take a nap in the basket. I don't want to see this <laughs> at the table because, yep. like, I mean, if you sit in a, in a, well, now that we're going back to restaurants, but well, people are waiting for their, to be seated at their table, this is what you see, rows of people looking down. My my saddest thing, and this had to have been before COVID. I wrote a post on it a long time ago on social media. But actually, Ivan's in the eighth grade. It was when he was still in grade school. I was driving past the middle school bus stop in our neighborhood. And it just struck me one day, you know, five, six, seven kids at three different bus stops. No interaction, no tossing a ball back and forth. Everyone literally just with their faces and their phone. And, And again, that's been at least three or four years, probably it's longer terrible. now. It is. And, you know, I, and yet, as much as I am on him, I have to take it when he says to me, hey, mom, how long have you been on your phone? Today? Right, exactly. So I'm I, like, hold you know, on, yeah. I'm, I'm texting, right? <laughs> right, <laughs> guilty, guilty as charged. I do insist while we're driving to and from school, it's only a 10-minute drive. The rule is he cannot be on his phone. Like, let's just have a conversation. We're both so busy with sports and work right. and everything else. I just won't to have a conversation and I want you to ask me as many questions as I'm asking you I love that you can you know have have that interaction what what do you hope that readers will gain in reading okay little bird I mean I already have a beautiful sense about your spirit of course your dead spirit the humor the joy and the connectedness from a reader's perspective as you went to publish this what what were your what were your hopes and desires that we gain as we had a chance to interact with your life I hope that readers laugh. I hope they learn that even in the darkest of times, you can experience joy. And I want them to feel inspired. Look, you know, life's going to happen and it's going to include all sorts of things that we love and things that we really don't want to deal with. And I want them to know that you can get through the unthinkable. One of the things that helped me cope with the loss of my father was the sense of humor that he not only left and instilled in myself, but in every member of our family. That humor helped me get through because you just don't have choices about certain situations. I mean, I remember him sitting at the table years before he passed away and we joke about what we were going to serve at his memorial. Really? Do I have to talk about the quality of the pastries we're going to serve? Because, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't even want to discuss this topic right now. So let's just talk about the weather. And that was me. I'm the weather girl now. And for years, I just didn't want to deal with it because I could not handle the thought of losing this man that was so much a part of me and raising me and he was accepting and he championed my spirit. And we all have somebody in our lives that it means so much to us. The goal is, I want readers to know, not to try and make it up on the back end. Let people know every chance you get. I love you. You're great. I support you. Is there anything you need? And, and the other thing that's important is sometimes people present an exterior, but it doesn't necessarily represent who they are. We don't know what's going on. It's to not judge based on what happens. I mean, you know, if I judge my father and every, you know, grumbly, ah, I don't want to do that, you know, whatever. I would never have gotten to the soft side. And so 
I understood his upbringing was stern. He had a tough dad. And so that's probably going to be the reason why he is the way he is. You know, um, we weren't supposed to chew gum in his car. That's not a huge offense. I might've done it a couple of times, but back in the day when they had ashtrays in the car, you remember the flip up ashtrays? Oh yes. We would put gum in there. Well, that was like bad. You just did not do that anyway. I mean, there were things, you know, he had a lot of rules, but the yeah. goal is to embrace what you have and who you have. And like you said earlier on, you keep people in your life that are not toxic. People that champion you, that accept you. My father and I accepted each other unconditionally. And I just want people to be inspired. And I want to tell you a short story. When he was given a terminal diagnosis about four years prior to his passing, maybe sooner, I happened to be by myself with him at his house when he got that. And I have, like you, I could always make him laugh. There was never a moment of awkward silence. I did not know what to say. I'm sitting there, it's quiet, and he just gets this diagnosis. And I turned to him and I said, everything's going to be okay, dad. And he looked at me and he said, you know what, Dina? Things are not going to be okay. And you can't tell people they're going to be okay. You know, these platitudes. He said, if you want to be here for me, just let me know that you're here for me. You support me. But telling me it's okay doesn't do anything. And I want readers to know that you sometimes, as my mother puts it, you have to go to the dark place with somebody. He might feel scared. You know, these, these platitudes that we use, they're really more for us to make us feel better. I don't know how well they work. It certainly didn't work for me, but I shifted gears and I was able to be there. Well, what a gift, what a gift that he gave you to be able to give you that feedback, right? So often people are afraid to tell somebody what they need if they've offered something or to redirect their energy if if it's not helpful or beneficial. And what a what a gift, right? That's I, I'll always remember that story you just shared. Yeah. I mean, think um, about have you ever bumped into somebody that found out they were diagnosed or they lost somebody? It's hard. You don't know what to say because it's yeah. not that you can't do anything for the person, but nobody but that person knows what they're going through. And so it's much harder to extend yourself to just say, I'm here for you, then it'll be okay. Maybe it won't. Yeah. Maybe you'll be sad for seven months. Maybe, you know, you're going to eat 12 gallons of ice cream, maybe four. I'm not saying me, but I eat four yeah. gallons. I'm just well, saying if you would, you could do that. Ice cream with M&Ms by any chance? Not that everybody got to hear that. Yes, but. and together <laughs> they're great because the M&Ms get cold. <laughs> yeah, sidebar. So here's the other thing too, I'm thinking about this conversation for our listeners, right? When we're thinking about how do we show up for each other? I think the opposite is also true. When someone's going through a difficult time, as you and I both have been through, and I'm sure many of our listeners, even if we don't know what to say, I believe it's better to say that than nothing at all and to to be nervous or to withdraw or right. to, to be afraid that I'm going to say the wrong thing. Right. I think it's equally, equally important or maybe even more important to say, hey, I, you know, kind of like you said, or he said to you, hey, tell me you're for me, I'm here for you. I don't really have words to, to, to say anything that's going to make you feel better, but I'm here and I'm, you know, I, I want to be alongside you with this, right? Yeah. Because, uh, when I, when I went through my darkest time about two years ago, that same time frame that your, your dad passed, I had an incredible army of people around me, some better at others than saying, you know, I'm here for you. And many people who simply said, I can't imagine what you're going through. Right. I hope that, you know, people won't ever have to go through this and 
you've got this. I don't know how you're going to find your way, but praying for you, thinking about you, that sort of stuff. And just those words alone made a big difference for me. It's it's like feeling like you have a net underneath you. You know, yeah. you could fall apart and there's going to be, because you know what happens too, you'll find, and I'm sure that you experienced this, that the further out you go from whatever trauma you experienced, the calls drop off. People think, yeah. you know, you haven't changed. You're, you still have these feelings but the support yep. starts to wane a little bit. Yep. And which is, I, in my case, I made sure that people stayed in touch because then I knew it was my time to shift and start reaching out. I'm trying to put my oh, earring back in, but I'm just going to take the other one off. because you, you, you just roll with it. It's okay. <laughs> so I'm curious, you knew he was getting ready to transition. You had already made the decision and were well into writing your book, right? How do you think you would have navigated this if you hadn't had the idea to jot this beautiful story, this love story down? I don't know. I mean, I had a lot of family members that were pretty concerned about how I would handle my father's passing. I I, honestly, I I don't know. And I don't think I fully realized that I was grieving through the creation of the book till after it was released. And I will say one of the ways that I've coped, um, and there's a section in the book called Incoming One-Liners because I told you he was a joke cracker, the humor. The very first time I had to go to the cemetery. Let's talk about this for a second. That is an odd experience. You go, you don't know whether to talk, look up, sit down, bring a sandwich. I mean, it's just, and there's no right or wrong, but it's a, it's, it's strange. So I go out for the first time by myself and, you know, I'm kind of standing there and we're, we're Jewish. And so in the Jewish faith, you have a stone setting a year following the passing of your loved one and they unveil it and whatever. Until that time, you're relegated to a little note on your where you're located. So I walked up and there's this teeny little index card with his name and everything. And all I could think of is this incoming one-liner, my dad's voice going, that's nice, 85 years old. And this is all I could do was stick a little index card in the ground. I'll be lucky if a bird finds me. And, and I started laughing and I looked up and I just kind of thanked him because his incoming one-liners, that sense of humor just courses through me all the time. And it's what helped me get through that moment and through every moment thereafter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the humor and the writing and I did not, you know, a lot of times, uh, do you find this when people, sometimes when they go through a loss, they're posting on social media, you know, because people do want that support. I never posted anything because it's such a private experience. I shared it with the people that were close around me. So there were many people that had no idea. And I refer to it in the book that I'm walking around, but it felt like I couldn't breathe. But, but if you saw me, maybe you wouldn't know. Cause I just kind of dealt with it on my, my, on my own. There's a, there's a quote in the book, um, something to the effect that as I've always done in my life, I turn to myself to be a rock for my own self I'm not wording it properly, but that's what I did. I just relied on myself because it was the best way that I knew how to, to get through. So, yeah. And there are no rules to grieving, right? We all have our own way of doing it. Yeah. I was quite the opposite. When I went through my loss, I took to social media and talked about it through the whole experience. And um, that, I don't suggest that for everybody. It was very raw, very vulnerable and it's also how I show up in life and business anyway, and had for about eight years before that. But I had to put some guardrails and, and safety nets in place to make sure that, one, I was telling my story 
and my ex-husband's story for myself first to right. heal. Two, that I'd be respectful of his his situation and everything and, and respecting our family. And then thirdly, if there was an opportunity to help others, but I was hoping that I would do that. So I had two very dear friends reading every post on our Caring Bridge, Bridge page through those layers. Like, look, is this taking care of me? Is this taking care of Mike and being respectful of his, his life and his experiences and his family? And is there an opportunity for hope and healing for other people? And there was only one time they came back with a little comment that said, hey, you might want to think about pulling the sentence out. And they were right, and I did. Um, but it was about a, a year and a half journey of sharing very openly the raw honesty around a suicide attempt that came out of nowhere. I mean, and, that's and amazing. We, it's not only is it cathartic, it's amazing. And it's educational because unless somebody sees that, it, you know, you're so well-respected in the community for that, for you to open up and share allows people the opportunity to maybe come to terms with things they've experienced in their lives and then talk about it because sometimes yeah. things don't get spoken that need to be spoken. Yeah. And, and to your point though, right. I, do I suggest that everybody take the social media or caring bridge and, 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 you know, air their dirty laundry or their pains or their trauma, whatever it is. I don't recommend that. Um, I had done a lot of personal growth work for years. I, it was one of those, I'll call it a God moment, three days with my husband and being a uh, trauma intensive care unit. I woke up and the very first thing on my heart was, you will be telling this story as it's happening. And I thought, oh, dear God, you can't ask me to do that. Like, I, I want to go run and hide. I, I, I was flat. I was in a flat line, right? Yeah. Because I thought my husband was flatlining. But I listened to the call, just like you did, when you started writing down some of these thoughts and these stories and this beautiful relationship. And I'm so glad I did. I know for a fact that there are eight people's lives that I've saved as a result of sharing my story. That's amazing. Yeah, eight. Eight. And I, it's, it's crazy. And now, and now I'm two years past. Um, I've, I've been divorced for a year. Um, I'm finding my way as a single parent and, you know, working past all the craziness that had happened well right. before the, his suicide attempt. And because I still play a role in people's lives as um, a mentor or a guide or a companion, a leader, whatever, in the way that I show up on social media and in business, I'm now having to discern like what's just Karen and what is something that everybody else might be interested in hearing and learn from. Right. So I'm, I'm at a new place in my life and people have asked me, you know, you need to write another book. I have a children's book, but you need to write this story. And so maybe we'll have to have coffee, real coffee, not just. I coffee. would love it to take coffee. <laughs> um, yeah. I'd be, I'd be curious to get your take, especially because this book, right. is so important to you and so new and fresh. And, but you also have, a lot of experience with writing in the past. So yeah, we'll have to make sure we schedule that. I would love that. I would love that. Yeah. I'll bring the M&Ms. I, I think what you did is miraculous and brave and, and courageous. And because I think the greatest thing in the world is to be completely real with people. There will be some that can't handle it and some that will. And you'll yeah. find, I find when you're, when I'm real and I'm open to sharing. Like somebody said, are you worried? I think it was my husband said, do you realize you just put yourself out there? And, I, and it never occurred to me because it's really about my father and about what an unconditional relationship looks like. It was really less about me. I never cared. 
Like you put out what you were called to do. I felt the same way. I didn't have choice about it. Like you didn't have a choice. This had to go out there. And much like when I walk up to a canvas, if I'm feeling it, I'm going to do it. And so that became your canvas and your canvas reached, inspired, and actually saved people. That is unbelievable. And so, yeah, I think you definitely got to do it again. Uh, Yeah, I'll have to find the... I know it's in me. I keep asking and trusting that that time will come. Do you have other ideas for books in you? Do you see that this might be? Okay. Yeah. Tell us about that. The cogs are going. Uh, yeah. I, I I absolutely love writing. I, I love it. I could sit down and do it. It's like going into a dark room. Have you ever developed film back in the day where you had to mm-hmm. put on a reel? We did, I did that in art school. And you'd go in and you come out like six hours had gone by. That's how it is when you're writing. When you, you know, somebody asked me in a different interview, do you have any advice for somebody writing a book? And my advice was write about what you feel, not about the outcome. Don't be saying, I'm writing a book, I'm writing a book, I'm writing a book. It's like getting on a roller coaster. If you talk about the ride, you're not being mindful of the experience of being on the ride. Go for your ride, do what inspires you. Whatever the outcome is, you'll deal with the outcome but get Mm -hmm. out what you want to say. And I am a person that I live joyfully. I I live uh, day-to-day, moment-to-moment, sharing with people how I feel about them. And I think there is light to be had in everything. And even in this terrible thing that, you know, you went through and look what came of this situation that you went through. You know, at the moment, obviously there's this awfulness, but then there's this light. And the same thing happened for me with the book. I'm getting like emails from people. This was so inspiring. You put into words what I was not even able to articulate. I, this is reminding me of my father. I'm going to go hug him. I, you know, to me, the greatest thing in the world, if you can touch and connect with people, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. And storytelling, right, is obviously the oldest form of communication. I can't remember the name of the book I'm listening to on Audible right now. I want to say change your story, change your life or something like that. But one of the things, and I've heard it in other stories too, when we can own our story, number one, in all its messiness and all its glory, like all of it, if we can own it and then also feel comfortable and confident to share it, maybe not with everybody, right? Or, Or a handful of trusted people without the apology, without the um, justification, just this, this is it, right? Then we can begin to make sense out of our lives, I believe. And that's what I think both of us are saying and sharing these stories. And to your point, when you're hearing from readers already with a few short months that's been out for people to say, you put in words what I couldn't say myself, thank you so much. I'm guessing that you're probably like, I simply was telling my story <laughs> and, right. and they found the fruit, they, they found the fruit in it for themselves. That's beautiful. It's, it's so, it's so overwhelmingly touching to me. It brings me such joy. I mean, I've had people calling me, oh my God, Dina, I laughed so hard. I turned the page and then I was sobbing. Um, that's why I made the Xanax joke. I don't want people to think they're going to need like, you know, <laughs> but, but it, it takes you on this bouncy ride of, of realness of, of, you know, what this entity was, this relationship. And, and by the way, the fact that a lot that toward the end of the book that it happens amidst the COVID-19 backdrop, a million people, you know, you hear stories, their, their hands are up against the glass. I mean, I would tell people there's always a way to stay connected to people. You have to think out of the box. So 
you know, we're winding down, thankfully, hopefully with COVID, but if you're in a situation where somebody's isolated, never lose hope, call, mail cards, you know, show up and hold a sign, deliver food, just be present in their lives. There's a lot of ways to be present in somebody's life that don't involve necessarily being in front of them if you're not allowed. Um, and yep. so that, that was a challenge too. I, you know, I was feeling robbed of what little time I had left with my dad. And, you know, all I wanted to do was put my head on his shoulder, like one more time. Cause I used to do that all the time. Like there's a, there's some words in there about the simplicity of that shoulder, you know, and what that means, you know, um, and I, and I couldn't do it. And I just, and I wanted to be that shoulder for him. So I, I felt really lucky that toward the end, I was able to, to be in there with him, you know, the last few days. So. But there's some funny stuff in there, I'll tell you. Yeah, I love that you say it's a bouncy ride, which makes me think of trotting along on a horse. So I love it. Is that, I see the book behind you. Yes. Um, Is it within reach that you could give us? Oh, good, good, good. So that's what it looks like. Okay, little bird. I love it. And where, oh, what a gorgeous cover. Thank you. Where, Where do we find the book? So the book is available on Amazon. Amazon actually sold out and had to reorder. It's the craziest thing. I'm telling you, I feel like I'm living in an alternate universe, but they're good now. But if some people say, hey, where's my book? Well, they had a delay because they had to restock. So Amazon has it. Barnes and Noble has it. You can get it at any bookstore online. Book Baby, Target has them online. They're, They're independent booksellers, like all the way across the country. I think there's a store in Massachusetts that has it. I mean, they're... Uh, and I yeah. and I have a launch coming up April 30th with Bookman's locally. We're going to do a virtual launch, oh. and uh, pretty soon I'll have a teaser out. I can't really give any spoilers, but listen um, to you, yeah, teaser, Good. teaser thing. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so it's available, um, and they so can good. go on my website, uh, dinasart.com, and there's an author tab, and there's information about the book there as well. So D E E N A Dina's Art dot com so it's dina plural dina's art.com yeah perfect and we'll have it in the show notes we'll have hyperlinks and everything for our listeners i just for those listening not live i want to make sure we have that so it's been well, since 2010 that i wrote my children's book um about an acceptance it's called maddie moonbeam garden it was done in my daughter's likeness I remember, and, and your children's books are published. Did you actually publish your other? Your other no, books? I haven't. I would love to. I have three of them written, and I, and I did the illustrations, but I haven't done anything with them. Is yours published? It's yeah. It, it's it's a, a, a mom's choice award, national award winning book. Which that's amazing. Really cool. I didn't do the artwork. I hired somebody to do it. There's some things that I wish I had done differently, but I think you know we can say that about any project that or anything we put right. out into the world. But the reason why I mentioned my book is because when you were telling me where it's located, you're familiar with Changing Hands Bookstore in Tempe? Yeah. So I would strongly suggest that you see if you can do a book read and get your book in there. I think they would find it as a lovely book. I don't know what the procedures are or processes or pricing, but I think it's well worth it. And I remember when I when I published Maddie Moving's Garden, one of the recommendations, and I don't know if this book's still around, I'll have to send you the link if I can find it. It was like the best ways and best places to sell your book besides bookstores. And it was one of the greatest. So I went to the Phoenix Zoo and I went to the Botanical Gardens. They carry copies of my book for a while. Oh my God, I love um, that. A lot of neat, I'll have to look for that link for you, Dina, and I'll see if I can find it because there was very strategic ways 
that you can share your book um, in gift stores and you know those kinds of places. Maybe I love out of the box that have totally out of the box. So I'll, I'll look for that and, and see Thank if I can you. find sure something similar. Because this, to me, even just looking at the cover, a closer look at the cover, and and hearing that he's you know a cowboy and and just the humor and but also the seriousness and the tough guy thing and the beautiful. Uh, cadence between the two of you it really is a story uh, for all ages and for anybody who's in any walk of life so I am deeply appreciative of you spending time with us this morning and taking us up on the offer to come and share your story with us today oh thank you Karen it's been so nice talking to you and I I'm grateful to share and I'm inspired by your story and what you shared today and um, I just think you're inspiring period so it's, it's Likewise. Amazing. Well, we are definitely going to schedule that coffee in person. Yes. And um, yes. And tell us one more time, dinasart.com. That's information yep. about, you know, book. If you want to read, uh, there's, there's uh, reviews on Amazon if people are interested to hear what other people said. Um, and so, yeah, so it's out there and, and feel free to reach out if you have questions. Yeah, and for the book launch, there'll be a, a virtual book launch on April April 30th. There'll be a virtual book launch. I'll have information on my website. And then also, um, I'll be at Barnes & Noble on 90th Street on April 2nd doing a signing. And then um, April 25th at Barnes & Noble uh, up at Desert Ridge as well. So, good some fun stuff. So good. Yes, if we don't already have the information for the virtual launch, if you can get that to either Daryl okay. or I. We'll make sure Angie has it. We can add it to the show notes as well. Um, we can, I mean, the, the April dates as well, too. It's, feel free to send us whatever. That way, when come, people come and listen to the podcast, uh, and if they're in the area or not, in the case of the virtual connection, they'll be able to stay connected with you. It has been a pleasure. I look forward to staying in touch with you. And again, we're grateful for you being willing to share your OK Little Bird story with us. You've been listening to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting today from my living room. But Daryl is at the studio at Max 6 Entrepreneurial Workspace uh, producing for us. And that's where we connect you with the right people and make sure that you continue to build your business. In this case, tell the world about the story that you've written. Some media leans left, some lean right. We lean business and we lean books. Until next time, I'm Karen Owicki. Thanks for listening. 